Good evening, everyone. Tonight's quote is about wealth. Many of you probably are aware Buddhism is not uh, not a wealth-oriented religion. It doesn't um, place much importance on wealth. Can't think of any religion that does. I think Buddhism especially. has uh, some fairly pointed things to say, or at least has a reputation of probably being anti-wealth. I would think, I mean, monks are supposed to be monks who are the spokespeople of the religion are supposed to live in poverty. They aren't allowed to touch money or valuable objects like gold and jewels. They have to wear these robes. They have to eat the food that we're given. The poverty is a big part of Buddhism. Buddha himself said, Santuti paramang dhanang. Contentment is the greatest wealth. Well, that was unexpected. Oh, I had my timer set, right? ended early Contentment is the greatest form of wealth. That's because what, is, what wealth is supposed to do is fulfill our wants, our needs. And so ordinary wealth is able to temporarily fulfill our wants and our desires and our needs, which um, our needs anyway are make it an important make wealth an important thing. No? So in this quote that we have tonight, the Buddha acknowledges that. Wealth is good for you. It can make you happy. It can make your parents happy. It can make your spouse, your children, your servants and workers happy. Your friends and companions happy. 
And you can use it to give charity or, or religious donations is what the quote refers to, but charity in general. So if you don't, if um, obviously poverty is, is a problem, but the dangers of that wealth is that it's temporary, it disappears. Wealth can be incredibly dangerous, right? The more wealthy you are, the more trapped you are by it. Can be. In many ways, wealthy people are trapped or can be trapped by their money. There was an interesting story I read about um, people who win the lottery, that apparently winning the lottery is one of the worst things that can happen to you. If you look it up, it's quite interesting what happens to people what the statistics are for people who have won the lottery, homicide, suicide, a lot of uh, robbery, you know. You lose, uh, you lose friends, you lose family, lose your life. Well, that kind of wealth can be dangerous, but even putting that aside, worldly wealth, though it's necessary to maintain livelihood. And this is where Buddhism does acknowledge the need for wealth. I mean, Buddhist monks, even monks have to have bowls, they have to have things, they have to have tools, things that allow them to continue their life. But beyond that, wealth isn't actually able to provide contentment. It isn't actually able to satisfy. It isn't able to bring happiness. So the happiness that it can bring is the ability to live one's life without worry, without fear. And potentially without having to go hungry, without having to be cold or hot, no. without having to suffer through lack of the amenities or the necessities of life. But as far as fulfilling our wants, our desires, there's no wealth, no amount of wealth that can do that. And so in terms of our wants, this is why contentment is the greatest form of wealth. Because that's what we're looking for from wealth, right? We, have, we, have, we understand that the problem is we want something. This is an issue. When you want something, it's actually a problem. If you don't get it, to the extent that you want it, it's going to cause suffering for you until you get it. If you want it a lot, it, will cause, it can cause great suffering. If you want it a little, well, just a little suffering until you get it. Of course, once you get it, then you're pleased. But that pleasure reinforces the desire. And so you want it more and it becomes more acute. And eventually you don't get what you want and you suffer. So you're constantly living your life chasing after your desires. Contentment on the other hand, 
accomplishes the same thing, but it does it uh, by going the other way, by destroying the wanting. When you remove the wanting uh, without reinforcing it, uh, without uh, following it, then you weaken it. When you can find peace without the things you want, when you can give up your wants and find happiness without needing this or that to make you happy, which is a foreign concept to many of us. We're so used to finding happiness in things and experiences. It becomes kind of religious or, or a view that we have, our belief. And if you, if you challenge that, People will, there's a tendency to react quite negatively. People get upset, you know, get uh, turned off by the things you're saying. You say, find happiness by letting go, hmm? by not clinging, by giving up your desires. Very few people will be interested. As I've talked about recently, most of us don't even understand that statement. We can't, we can't even comprehend it. We're so fixed and fixated on our desires that and it's hard to even comprehend the idea of being happy without now well, maybe that's not giving people enough credit but especially all of you here no anyone who's watching this has an i would think has an understanding of some understanding of the problem they've had suffering in their lives and so they can see how our wants when we want things to be a certain way, when we don't get that, it's quite suffering, quite a bit of suffering, great suffering. And so we turn to meditation, thinking to find contentment. This is really what it is. If, it, if this hasn't come to you, well, here's, the, here's an idea, a reason why meditation might be interesting, is to find contentment, to be able to live without need, And so how does it do this? Meditation it teaches us objectivity. It's like straightening the mind. The mind is bent and crooked all out of shape, so you have to strike it and straighten it. And every moment that you see things as they are, you're straightening the mind. Not just every moment you're meditating, that's not the case. But while you're meditating, when you find a moment where you just see something as it is, when you say rising, and you're just aware of the rising, that moment is a pure state. And it's straight. The mind is straight, is, is um, wholesome, is pure. And you cultivate this, the cultivation of this, this state, these states. This is... Uh, is the path to contentment because in that time in that moment there's no need for anything there's no want for anything when you cultivate these moments after moments consecutively you slowly become content now you're dealing with so many likes and dislikes so it's not easy and it's not very comfortable it's mostly not content but in those moments you can see the contentment that's what we're fighting for, that's what we're working for. It takes time, but through practice, you this is what you cultivate. 
this is the direction that you you uh, steer yourself towards. So I don't want to talk too much about wealth. I don't like talking about money and, and so on, but contentment, that's where it's at. So there's your Dhamma bit for tonight. And open up the Hangout if anybody wants to come on and ask questions. If you don't have any questions, then I'll just say goodnight. Met a couple of Sri Lankan people on the street today, and they're coming tomorrow morning to visit. It's nice, people in the community. There actually are people in this area. There's a Sri Lankan monk or Bangladeshi monk in Toronto. Said he was going to get me in touch with the Sri Lankan community here. He never did. He was very busy though. But apparently there's quite a few Sri Lankan people in Hamilton. And there's some Western people coming out to meditate, to visit. So this place could become a real part of the community. To see how it goes. I gave a meditation booklet to the woman who serves me at Tim Hortons. Really good group of people at Tim Hortons. It's funny. I've gotten to know them coming out to meditate. Robin, you're echoing me. Do you have something else on, like YouTube or the audio stream? Oh, better now. Hi, Robin. He doesn't hear me, I don't think. Hello. Hello. Soti Pante. Hi. Hi, sorry. It's been so long. I uh, forgot that I have to turn the other one off. Sorry about that. So I had a question. Okay. So we have a teaching that we hear all the time. We heard it pretty recently. Um, let seeing only be seeing. Let hearing only be hearing. Let smelling only be smelling. And I mean, it sounds good. But it's my wrong, yeah. I forgot that I have to turn the other one off. Sorry about that. I had a question. Okay, Paul, you're echoing us. Please, you have to, if you're going to put them on the hangout, you have to turn the other thing off first. Um, let seeing only be seeing. Hello? Okay. Okay. So, with this teaching, I mean, it sounds good, but my common sense tells me that, I mean, we have to judge what comes in contact with our senses to be safe. If you're, if you're truly just tasting, tasting, but not judging the taste, you could be eating rancid food. If you're smelling but not recognizing the smell, your house could be burning. Um, I mean, it, how does this teaching work in the real world where we do have to evaluate our surroundings? Yeah, I mean, it's not the whole truth. Of, it's not like a way of living your life, but it's the necessary that you need to perform during a meditation practice. And because if you don't get to the point where seeing is just seeing, you'll never get to the the uh, the root, but uh, I mean, even an arahant has to 
think and has to process, has to talk, has to interact with people, has to judge. Seeing is not just seeing. Seeing is you know, a, a, a pit in front of you that you have to go around. Exactly. You don't have that in meditation. I mean, it's, it's still seeing. You see the pit and you say seeing, seeing. And then there's still the the thoughts that arise based on the pit. They, they arise anyway. The point is your mind is... is uh, is straight, so those thoughts are free from. Oh my gosh, it's a pit. You know, they can still arise, and they still will arise. The awareness, but it's so it's only part of the uh, the picture, right? Those thoughts of oh, that's a pit. Well, hey, wait, you're not seeing seeing. But when you said seeing is just seeing, when you said seeing seeing, it neutralized the experience, at least for a moment. You can still get react, but the, the first moment of seeing the pit or the tiger or whatever has neutralized the fear and the, and the shock. And so I mean, that being said, to some extent, there is a sense of um, having to stay neutral. Like, of course, if it's rancid food, you know that it's rancid food. You have no reason to eat it. But if it's a tiger and the tiger's going to eat you, well, you run, but once it, once it catches you, Seeing, let's seeing, just be seeing. And pain, just be pain. So you kind of have to go in and out of this. Is that would that be correct? Not even. Um, you could. It's it's arguable that yeah, you'd have to go a little, but it's not really out of it because your mind is pure. It's like um, when you walk. The walking meditation, you're only saying stepping right, stepping left, but you're aware of a lot else. You're aware of the shifting of the body. You, know, you may be aware of stray thoughts, but you don't have to note them all as long as you keep your mind uh, straight, as long as you keep your mind pure. And so by noting every second or so, you, know, you note uh, frequently, your mind will say, stay straight. So it's important to do this, but it's not—it's uh, not everything, especially of your life. But that being said, when when you actually do a meditation, or or the best way to understand it, the easiest way to understand it is during a meditation. If you want to follow it, where you can follow it perfectly strictly, and you're sitting with your eyes closed, well, that's the time where you're going to look at this. But um, all it takes is a moment, right? Like I, would, I tell this, I told you this story about this monk who was teaching. I was watching, and he says, "Hearing, hearing," and then <laughs> he went into cessation while he was teaching. Probably one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. So all it was is in that moment for him, hearing was just hearing as he was teaching it. And that's what it was. My challenge is just to to make it enough of a part of my day to ever to ever get to that point. Yeah, I mean, doing a... Our, our, one of our recent meditators finished his course, did okay, 
finished it. Um, but uh, was a little bit disappointed, I think, with the results, even though I was pretty sure he got where he was supposed to be. Uh, you, you, you can't tell. It's hard for him to tell. It's hard for me to tell. But then uh, he emailed me, and he'd gotten stuck on a flight. And uh, he was on this plane for like nine hours or something on the runway. Uh, it's an insane amount of time sitting on the runway. <clears throat> and uh, what he described to me, what happened on the runway, suddenly he, he came back and uh, I was just listen. And I said, that's, <laughs> that's what, that sounds exactly like on the plane leaving to go home. Right? You never know when. You never know when you're ready. Sometimes you get so stressed during the course, um, or you get stressed during the course and it inhibits, it prevents you from, you're worried or near the end it can get stressful. And if you let it get to you, if you're not mindful, it, it, then it just happens when you relax. <laughs> it's like Ananda, right? Ananda was doing walking meditation all night, trying to become enlightened, and nothing. And then it was almost dawn, and he had gotten. No, he felt like he'd gotten nowhere, and he was really stressed out. And then he thought, and he said, "Oh, I'm pushing too hard." And so he lay down. And before his head touched the pillow, he was not right. Hey, Tom. Hi, Bonte. You have a question? No. I just thought I'd show the flag. All right. Well, nice to see you. Good to see you. Thank you, Bante. Welcome. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Good